The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. right the chinese got your boy again with the coronavirus but actually believe it or not i'm really not feeling horrible this go round compared to when i had it the first time in october 2022 or excuse me october 2020 man in october 2020 i thought i was a goner i thought i was done i was laying up in the va in the in the uh I believe it was the seventh, not the seventh floor. God, I don't remember what floor I was on, man. The whole thing was a blur. But I was up there for three days. I did not sleep for three days in a row. Sat up, you know, in the bed because I couldn't lay back because I literally could not breathe. I really thought I was not making it out of there alive. So this go round, man, this has been a cakewalk compared to that. I have no doubt about it that I'm going to recover from this and I'm going to be absolutely okay. So, yes, I caught the Rona again when all I've ever heard was you can't catch it twice. It won't get you twice. And the crazy part is people I know that have vaccinated have gotten it, too, now. So who knows anymore, man? I'm just here for the ride and I'm just living my life, you know. And so what's crazy is I have felt sick for like two weeks. And me, Corona, the Rona was the last thing on my mind. It's wintertime, man. And I mean, for crying out loud, it was 75 degrees on Christmas. And then we had a couple more warm days after that. Then the temperature finally drops. Now that we're in the 20s and 30s. And I mean, that's just not your body's going to react to that. You know, and everybody at work was getting sick. And you know, I said, me, I thought I had a sinus infection for the last few weeks. And I was like, I'm not going to the hospital because I just had a round of antibiotics. And I don't want too many antibiotics in my body so i'm just gonna let you know i'm just gonna work through this one man and for some odd reason like i say i was real tired but i mean it was i'm always tired man i work full time as a cop for 12 hours a shift you know i have wife and kids i'm always doing something so being tired and fatigued is nothing new to me that is like being tired is just normal for my age and what i do you know and then the the headache started and i was like sinus infection man then what got me was my face got a little numb and tingly and my eyes felt a little numb. Then my uh, yeah, my vision got a little blurry. That's when I got a little worried. I was like, man, let me go get checked out real quick for something. I thought maybe it was the sinus pressure. You know, then I checked my blood sugar. I'm type 2 diabetic. My blood sugar was, like, was high. And I was like, well, let me go definitely go get checked out. And typically when you're diabetic and you get sick, your blood sugars do go higher. So I go there and I'm chatting with them and so I took an at-home test, came back negative. I went to the VA hospital, and I was there for eight freaking hours. I was pretty much a, spent an entire shift at the hospital, and I ain't even worked there. That's, you know, it was the longest, craziest line, man. And I knew it was going to be long because everybody I knew know has been sick, man. And I talked to the docs at the VA, and they said there's not a hospital bed 
open or available for 100 miles around this place. Dude, it was just, it was overloaded with sick veterans. And I mean, and the staff was non-existent, man. They are hurting for numbers. All their staff is out sick. So it's just been a wild ride. So I was sitting there and the doc comes back and he tells me, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do this new test we got, this throat swab. Swabs my throat. And it's like four hours later, it comes back and like, hey, you got the Rona. I'm like, what? So that's what it was. You know, it just really caught me off guard because in my mind, I'm thinking, it's a sinus infection. They're going to bring me up in here real quick. They're going to look at me and say, hey, yeah, you got congestion in your ears and your nose and some gunk. Here, here's a pack. Swallow it. Take it home. Rest up. Go back to work. And that's what I was ready to do. But when he told me I had the Rona, completely caught me off guard. And I mean, but I, I feel, I don't feel horrible. Yes, I have congestion. You know, I've been sneezing a lot. But I mean, I really don't feel bad. I honestly feel like I could still go to work, but I am not going to do that because I do care about grandma, as people would say. And I'm going to follow the orders so I don't go out and spread it to everybody. So, yes, your boy, I got round two of the Rona. So I missed the second round with the uh, Delta variant, but I definitely caught the Omicron variant. I say, man, I just feel okay. Tired, congestion. Oh, and and I just started losing my taste last night, but not completely. It's like my taste is numbed in my smell, but I can still taste and I can still still smell, just not that well. Yeah, so I'm doing all right. But man, let me tell you the trip to the VA though. And as much as people hate and despise the VA, and I completely understand, but there were so many people there that night. It was horrible, but. I always meet great people when I go to the VA, man. That's why I like going to the VA because I love being around my fellow military veterans. And as miserable as all of us were in the waiting room, sitting and waiting for hours upon hours without any word, it was just the greatest ER visit I've had at the VA in quite some time. I mean, we were a a cast of just people that looked nothing alike and none of us had anything in common except military service. You know, you had me, the 37-year-old black guy, veteran, heart veteran, then you had this other younger guy that was to my right, him and his wife. He was, I believe, in his mid-20s. He was a former, I forgot what job he did, man. He had a smart guy job, though. Something with, like, electronics and fixing machines and launching missiles and such. You know, but he was there. You know, he was having some mental issues, then we had another guy to the left of me. He was an older Navy guy that retired a long time ago. Then we had another guy walked in. He actually lives in West Virginia. And he was here because he was working at a store and hurt his back, man. And next thing you know, we're all just sitting there chatting. Nothing in common besides our <laughs> yeah, our military backgrounds and our injuries. But, I mean, man, we just sat there and we just chatted and had the time of our lives. And that made the trip absolutely worth it. You know, and it really helped being around other people. I mean, it made the time fly by. You know, the time started ticking a little slower when they took me from the ER and sat me in the back. And they were out of beds everywhere. So they put me on a bed that was just situated in the hallway. And there I was. You know, it was it was a weird time, man. Just being sitting there by myself for hours after that. I just wanted to be back out in the waiting room with the guys, man, because we were having such a good time. But, you know, they finally throat swabbed me and figured out that, uh, yeah, I got the Rona. 
And after that, they gave me a GI cocktail. It's absolutely disgusting, but it did help with my my throat and it helped calm my stomach down a little bit. Then they gave me some Tylenol and sent me on my way. And I have been at home for the past few days on lockdown. And I will say this. Yes, it does have suck having the Rona again. But but I can honestly say this. At least I am now on lockdown in my own home with space, a studio, and that small apartment like I was before. So I'm a lot happier on this go-round. Yes, it still sucks being on lockdown. I wish I was at work. But, man, let me tell you, it's compared to the my round first bout with the Rona, this ain't nothing, man. This ain't nothing. Like I say, I am, I'm doing okay, so don't worry about me. I'm good. And no, I'm not vaccinated. Don't need to be, in my opinion. That's just me. I mean, if you want to get vaccinated, do your thing. I am not going to judge you. Don't really care if you do or don't. This is America. We have the freedom of choice here, people. And that's, like I said, if you want to take the jab, take the jab. If you don't, you don't. You should. Nobody should be coerced or shamed for the decision that they make in this. But anyway, yes, having the Rona sucks, but it don't even matter right now because I am still flying high and just on such a natural high from this past weekend when I was in Austin, Texas with my boys, Stu and Johanny, man. Y'all don't know. Those are my dogs. Those are my boys, man. And we, God, that trip was so needed, man. And I tell everybody, I've been listening to the Drinking Bros podcast. Like I said, I'm not a day one homie, but I'm a year one homie. I remember when they started making shows. I believe it was in 2015 or 2016. And I was like maybe 50 shows late. And I caught up on all the shows. And, man, I just absolutely fell in love with the Drinking Bros podcast. And they're the absolute reason why I have my own podcast. They're the reason I decided, you know what, I want to have a podcast. And for me personally, I don't care if not one person tunes in or tunes in or listens. It don't matter to me. I tell people as much as I make this for people and cops and military and whoever wants to listen and every download I appreciate. I really do. But if nobody ever downloaded my show, I would still do it because I just really enjoy the process of having a podcast and just talking and putting stuff out there, giving people content to listen to in their patrol cars or when they're driving to and from work. And people have asked me, hey, when are you going to make a video podcast? And personally, I don't see the need to make a video podcast because, for example, as big of a fan of Drinking Bros as I am, I'm I'll tell you, I'm the biggest fan, but I don't ever listen or watch the lives I don't because I don't have time. I live a busy life. I'm constantly in my patrol car. And in this environment, I can't have my head down on my phone watching people talk. I just don't have the time for that. So what I do instead is I turn on the podcast while I'm driving and I drive and I work and do my thing with the podcast on in the background as I listen. So I've designed my podcast the same way. I've designed my podcast for people who live a life like me that are busy and don't have time to just sit and watch people talk as much as I wish I could. I just don't have that ability. So, no, I am not going to be having a video podcast anytime soon. I am starting to use more videos for advertising as such, but there will be no actual video content coming forward for a show. You know, maybe down the line, I'm not going to say that's in stone, but, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with everything, with the book and the podcast. Who knows? For But for right now, in the time being, this is going to be an audio only show. 
And once again, I thank you all for tuning in. Thank thank you to each and every last one of you for tuning in. I truly appreciate it. And I know the last episode of us in Austin, it was kind of rough. I ain't going to lie. I know the volume was all jacked up, but that's what happens when you're hungover in Austin and you just plug and play and don't really adjust these settings on your microphone. So, <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> Pardon me. Rona got me, dog. Rona got me. But yeah, so like I said, man, being in Austin with those guys, it was, oh my God, it was just great, man. And for me, having my book officially out and being fully published and people are now, you know, buying my book and posting pictures with my book and the encouraging comments, man, to each and every one of you all that has purchased my book. And this is what I'm saying, everybody, you all work hard for your money. And for you all to take your hard earned money and to invest in me and my product from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. And even more precious than your money is your time. That is something I always tell people. I'd rather you waste my money than you waste my time because I can always make more money, but I cannot make more time. So for you to invest the time out of your personal lives to read my book and read my story. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much because, you know, it's not something you just pick up and just go through right away. You know, it's a it's a book. It takes time, you know, and for you all to value my story and see me as worthy of your time to do so. Thank you, man. I truly appreciate it. And I promise this is not just it's not your every ordinary everyday book about war and police stuff. It's not. All that stuff is in there, but it's a lot deeper than that. There's so much that goes on in the book and the reviews of people, you know, telling me what they thought about my book. And some people said it's made them cry like six times and they felt my joy, my pain and my sorrow. That is the absolute point of it. And and I've told people this before. I don't really care about the sales and the money because that was never the intent for me from the start. All I wanted was to get my story written and get it put out there. And now that it is done, yes, I can, I'm not going to say I can rest, but I can rest a little easier knowing that this part of the journey is done. And now I'm on to the next leg of my journey. And that is to continue advertising my story and my book. So for those of you that have read the book, I will ask you if you don't mind, if you could please go to Amazon and rate the book and leave me a review. That helps my book to continue to get out there and get it sold because I, I want to change lives with this book. I want people to look at themselves differently. And of all things, I want people to become confident in who they are, regardless of what society, family and friends tell you who you are. At the end of the day, you have to know who you are to go forward. And until you know who you are, you can't help anybody else. And for most of my life, I spent my life wondering who I was and what Dexter Pitts, you know, what did I do besides be a cop, you know? And now I kind of finally have these answers in my life. And I wanted to share that with you all through the pages of this book. So once again, thank you. But as I was saying, being in Austin, Texas, man, with the drinking bros and being able to go on that podcast, when I started my book and when I, by the time I finished my number one goal in life was to finish my book and go on the Drinking Bros podcast. And that is what I did out the gate. So mission accomplished. 
dream achieved in my God. It was the greatest experience, man. It was everything that I thought it was. And these guys are everything that you think they are. So big shout out to Ross Patterson, Dan Holloway, all the drinking bros staff and, you know, everybody there, man. I cannot thank you all enough for having little old me, Dexter Pitts from Louisville, Kentucky on the show, man. And I mean, it's just, it's, I can't even explain the feeling. It's weird to have something that you look forward to that you want to achieve and accomplish. And then I remember getting in the cab that night or the Uber with my boys and driving away from the studio and like, that's it. I did it. It's over. The dream I had been chasing for years and years is officially done. And then it's like, now what's next? It's it's just over and done, man. You know, it's just so weird to work towards something so hard and so long. And then to hit that mark, you know, and it feels good. Then it's just like, you know, it's over. I, I was so nervous and excited when I got back home and I was going to watch the show live as it played on YouTube, man. And I was with my wife. And I looked over and I told her, don't judge me by anything you hear me say on the show. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> but yeah, you know, because, you know, the drinking bros, man, they get a little wild, but that's why I love them because they keep it real. And their sense of humor is right up there with mine and other military and law enforcement. So, I mean, it's just so weird when I've only met Ross and Dan one time and that was during Derby, you know, and man. I just felt so at home sitting there with them at the table with the microphone in front of my face. I felt like I was literally just chatting with some of my homies, man. So it was just an absolute a dream come true. Said it before, but man, it's, I mean, we're only, we were only like two weeks into 2022, man. And I tapped out kind of high on that, man. I mean, my God, I know how much higher I can get in 2022. And the thing that made it even better was the fact that, I didn't get to have this moment by myself. Initially, I was going by myself, but when I told my homeboys, Stu and Johanny, you know, I in, introduced them to the Drinking Bros podcast, and they love it. But when they said, hey, man, do you mind if we tag along? My first thought was, hell yes, you can tag along, man. It just, having them there just made it so much more better and so much special. I mean, accomplishing something you did on your own is great, but, man, None of that means anything if you have nobody to share in the in it with. And having them there by my side, Stu and Johanny, I cannot thank you all enough. As I said, for taking your time and your money to fly with you know, to fly to Austin, Texas and to chill with me for the weekend, man, in this occasion, dude. Like y'all absolutely made my weekend. I hadn't seen y'all in so long. Well, I saw Johanny a couple months ago because he came through on his road trip but man it just it felt so good to see these guys man after having suffered with them through the border patrol academy and suffering with them down on the southern border you know then going through all my mess in arizona with the pd and then coming back here i've been in constant you know contact with these guys since day one and man these are my brothers and brothers i love y'all man and i wish y'all nothing but the best and we shall see what the rest of 2022 holds for us because as y'all know, like I say, I'm a big Drinking Bros fan, and I've been in touch with some of their other um, podcasts that they have. So um, I've been talking with Eric Tanzi and Mike the Cop. So there's a possibility that I might be going to Detroit, Michigan, to be on Failure to Stop podcast with those guys and talk about my book and anything police-related. And I'm also in talk with Black Rifle Coffee 
and the medevac podcast to go fly to san antonio texas hopefully possibly sometime in march to be on the medevac podcast so they got a lot of good stuff going on man i also did a uh, interview with the law enforcement today podcast and radio show that was with uh john j wiley a former retired cop and did a 40 minute interview with him on his show so man i got a lot of stuff going on so it's a lot of positive stuff man it feels good you know and i tell everybody for years i've always wondered what am i besides just a cop you know i've been jealous for years of people officers that have other endeavors outside of police work and they have businesses and they have all these other skills and for me it was always like well what am i i'm just a cop i don't have anything else to offer and I can honestly now say that I now feel like I have something else to offer besides police work and just being a first responder. I have my book. I am a published author and I have this podcast, the I'm Pitts podcast. And to some people, I say some people might not think it's not much. I'll be honest. I don't think it's anything special because how many officers out there have written books? How many podcasts are out there? Man, everybody and their mama got a podcast. Every time I turn around, Somebody's launching their own podcast that I know. And you know what I say? Cheers to you. Join the crowd, man. Come on. There's plenty of room out here for all of us. There's plenty of more rooms for cops that wrote books and veterans that have written books. And there's an endless space for all of us. And there's no need to get jealous because somebody else is in this field and looking to do it. So, you know, if, there's, if you want to do it, go ahead and do it, man. You know, but it feels good to actually have. That thing I've been in search for for 13 years that makes me more than just a cop. And man, let me tell you, it is the best feeling in the world. When I wake up and I look at my book or I see my kids holding my book, it's I'm so much more than just the uniform I wear. My life goes a lot deeper than that now. And that's why I'm also glad to like I say glad to have the podcast, man. So as always, thank you all for tuning in. No matter as sick as I am, there's something that is out there that is even sicker than me right now. And that is this country and its leaders. More so specifically, our dear Vice President Kamala Harris. Tune in and listen to this garbage, man. And this is this is the type of stuff that makes me sick to my stomach. This is the type of pandering and the BS that drives me crazy. And that only it only exists to drive a wedge between us and dis- and distort the truth. And, you know, it just it's unnecessary. Take a look. Listen to this. Fellow Americans, good morning. Certain dates echo throughout history, including dates that instantly remind all who have lived through them where they were and what they were doing when our democracy came under assault. Dates that occupy not only a place on our calendars, but a place in our collective memory. December 7th, 1941, September 11th, 2001, and January 6th, 2021. On that day, I was not only vice president-elect, I was also a United States Senator, and I was here at the Capitol that morning at a classified hearing with fellow members of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Hours later, the gates of the Capitol were breached. I had left, 
but my thoughts immediately turned not only to my colleagues, but to my staff who had been forced to seek refuge in our office, converting filing cabinets into barricades. What the extremists who roamed these halls targeted was not only the lives of elected leaders. What they sought to degrade and destroy was not only a building, hallowed as it is. What they were assaulting were the institutions, the values, the ideals that generations of Americans have marched, picketed, and shed blood to establish and defend. On January 6th, we all saw what our nation would look like if the forces who seek to dismantle our democracy are successful. The lawlessness, the violence, the chaos. What was at stake then and now is the right to have our future decided the way the Constitution prescribes it by we, the people, all the people. We cannot let our future be decided by those bent on silencing our voices, overturning our votes, and peddling lies and misinformation by some radical faction that may be newly resurgent, but whose roots run old and deep. When I meet with young people, they often ask about the state of our democracy, about January 6th. And what I tell them is January 6th reflects the dual nature of democracy, its fragility and its strength. You see, the strength of democracy is the rule of law. The strength of democracy is the principle that everyone should be treated equally, that elections should be free and fair, that corruption should be given no quarter. The strength of democracy is that it empowers the people. And the fragility of democracy is this, that if we are not vigilant, if we do not defend it, democracy simply will not stand. It will falter and fail. The violent assault that took place here, the very fact of how close we came to an election overturned, that reflects the fragility of democracy. Yet, the resolve I saw in our elected leaders when I returned to the Senate chamber that night, their resolve not to yield, but to certify the election, their loyalty not to party or person, but to the Constitution of the United States, that reflects its strength.
And so, of course, does the heroism of the Capitol Police, the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department, the National Guard, and other law enforcement officers who answered the call that day, including those who later succumbed to wounds, both visible and invisible. Our thoughts are with all of the families who have lost a loved one. You know, I wonder, how will January 6th come to be remembered in the years ahead? Will it be remembered as a moment that accelerated the unraveling of the oldest, greatest democracy in the world? Or a moment when we decided to secure and strengthen our democracy for generations to come? The American spirit is being tested. The answer to whether we will meet that test resides where it always has resided in our country, with you, the people. And the work ahead will not be easy. Here in this very building, a decision will be made about whether we uphold the right to vote and ensure free and fair elections. Let's be clear, we must pass the voting rights bills that are now before the Senate. And the American people must also do something more. We cannot sit on the sidelines. We must unite in defense of our democracy in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our prosperity and posterity. That is the preamble of the Constitution that President Biden and I swore an oath to uphold and defend. And that is the enduring promise of the United States of America. The audacity of her to compare January 6th to two of America's greatest tragedies in which numerous American lives were lost and we were catapulted into wars that lasted multiple years. Does she just have the nerve and audacity to, to say that January 6th was the equivalent to Pearl Harbor and to the 9-11 attacks? Where does she get off speaking such inaccuracies? And this is these are the people that are leading us. These are our elected officials making politics out of one day in January in which there was really nothing. I mean, I didn't like what happened on January 6th. And I don't support anybody that took part in any of that. But to say that this is the equivalent of those two days, Pearl Harbor is a day that will live in infamy forever. And it still has until this day. Man, 9-11, that inspired me to join the military and go and fight. And I lost a lot of friends in the war on terror. I lost myself in the war on terror. 
almost lost my arm in the war on terror. But I don't recall anybody really suffering any super crazy tragedy that unfolded after, you know, January 6th. You know, we had the killing of Ashley Babbitt, but when you around to find out, I mean, that's on you, man. But to say that these days are similar is is blasphemy and an outright deceit and a lie. And since Vice President Kamala Harris wants to make outlandish claims and weigh these days against each other and compare them, let's do a comparison. I did a little research, so let's see how accurate Vice President Kamala Harris is with this. So, Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941. On that day, the attack in Pearl Harbor killed 2,403 U.S. personnel, including 68 civilians, and destroyed or damaged 19 U.S. Navy ships, including eight battleships. The three aircraft carriers of the U.S. Pacific Fleet were out to sea on maneuvers. And at the Pearl Harbor, what happened? World War II. We entered World War II. We were in World War II for four years. And the cost of World War II cost America, and the cost of World War II cost America $4.1 trillion. But even more precious than money is the lives lost during World War II in Pearl Harbor. During World War II, we lost 405,399,000 American men and women killed and 671,278,000 were wounded in action. That was World War II. Those numbers are astonishing. Have you ever talked to anyone, anyone that served in World War II? I have. And the stories they tell me from that time period are almost unbelievable. The tragic amount of lives lost. I mean, over 400,000 people died in battle. That's insane. That's a lot of lives, man. And people's lives changed from being wounded in combat over 600,000. That's a lot. That's a lot of bloodshed. But let's not stop there. Let's look at the incident that inspired and sparked me to join the military to go and fight in the war on terror. 9-11. So September 11th, 2001. On September 11, 2001, there were 2,977 civilians killed when the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and other places were hit. And of that, there were 6,000 that were injured. And not to mention the countless deaths of those killed by 9-11 syndrome that is still ongoing today, that by people that got cancer because of all the smoke and smog from the towers falling. So that number continues to still climb. There are people still dying from this today as we speak 20 plus years later. And then what happened after the 9-11 attacks? The United States entered into the war on terror and officially in October of 2001. It's my generation's Pearl Harbor, my generation's you know, war. America's longing standing war at that. The war on terror lasted over 20 years. And we, between Iraq and Afghanistan, we had over 7,000 killed in action. And we've had over 50,000 men and women service members wounded, myself to be included. And that war cost us over $8 trillion. $8 trillion. 
That's a lot of lives and a lot of money and a lot of bloodshed. Now, well, let's look at December 6th of 2021. How many people died? One person died, Ashley Babbitt. And that's because she's not the most smartest person in the world. I'm just going to say, personally, if there are people with guns on the other side of the door and there's, you know, chairs and stuff stacked up in glass and somebody's pointing a gun at me telling me not to cross, my ass is probably not going to cross and I'm probably going to take that as a warning. So a lot of people might not like that opinion of mine, but that's just my personal opinion. You don't have to like it. If you don't like it, tune out and turn off. But you know what? She did what she did. Should she have been shot or killed for it? I don't think so. But at the same time, you put yourself in that predicament. You are a grown-ass woman, and you shall suffer the consequences. So she was the only person to die that day. Nobody else died. A couple people were injured. A couple police officers were injured. And I believe the amount of damage cost to the Capitol that day was in the millions, maybe. But other than that, that was pretty much it. Had a couple officers injured. And no war spun up for four years or any other time after this. No war, nothing. But all of a sudden, you have Vice President Kamala Harris sitting here saying that certain days just resonate with you in January 6, 2021, is one of them. I'm sorry. I can't even recall where I was on December on January 6, 2021. If you ask me what I was doing on you know, 9-11, I can tell you. If you ask me what happened the day that my partner at work was killed, I can tell you everything from that day from beginning to end until that incident. But if you ask me about December or January 6, 2021, I don't remember anything about that day. I do remember that I learned about it when I was listening to Drinking Bros and they went live about it. But other than that, that's it. And I just remember sitting there looking at these idiots storming the Capitol like, what the hell is wrong with y'all, man? That's all I remember. And then all of a sudden it was done and over. It was it was it. So how does she go off comparing December 7th, 1941 and 9-11 and making these days and making December or making January 6th, 2021 just as bad as those days? This is what we call pandering. And this is what we call poor leadership. And these are the people that you all have elected to lead you in this country. That is a problem. If somebody was like that in my face and told me that, I'd have a whole lot of words to say to them. And they wouldn't be very Christian-friendly oriented either. Not even close. Because that is an insult to everybody who fought and died during Pearl Harbor in World War II. That is an insult to everyone who fought and died during 9-11 and the war on terror, including myself. I shed blood for this country. Yes, what happened on January 6th was disgusting, but do not make it seem like January 6th was this event that completely changed America and changed the direction of our country because that is not it. And the only reason she says stuff like this is because she knows she can get away with it and because she knows there are just so many people in this country that are sheep and that will just eat up and believe everything that they say. And that is disgusting. We have to be better people, better citizens, not to allow our entitled, oh, you know, with so much power politicians 
to feed us bull crap and to just slop it up out of their hands and take whatever they say is truth when it is not. If they will lie about something like this for politics, what else will they lie about? I mean, this is blatant, man. Like, you can't look at this stuff and say with a clear conscience that this is right. There's nothing about this that is similar to these days. Nothing. But yet, these are the people that we have chosen to represent our country and represent us and our interests. But when's the last time they represented our country and our interests? No, they haven't. They are a self-serving ruling class taking advantage of the gullible people in our country, taking advantage of our voting systems to continue to have power and use that power to influence themselves and to influence us so that they continue to get votes so they can, they can maintain their power. These are not good people. Like I said, I try not to put all politicians in the same boat because I do believe that there are some... <coughs> There are some out there that actually want to do well. But my belief is, I just don't believe that there's such thing as a good politician right now. You know, and it's so funny that I was looking at some of the comments from when I was on the Drinking Bros on YouTube. So many people are saying, Mr. Dexter Pitts needs to run for office. He needs to run for local office. He needs to get involved in politics. I have a friend, Laura, shout out to you, my homegirl. She always says, pitch for president. People always ask me, bro, when are you going to run for office? Let me tell you all this. I, Dexter Pitts, will never run for political office because I am of the belief that when you lie down with dogs, you get fleas. I don't believe in our political leaders anymore. I believe in America. I believe in my fellow Americans. But the system that is in place right now and the people that are in charge of the system I don't believe in. I believe in the Constitution and everything that this country was built upon. But I do not believe in our current system and government right now. And I feel like it would crap on my reputation and what I believe if I join in the evil that is going on with our politicians and those leading us. Because no matter how good of a person you think I am, everybody has a limit. And, and I don't even want to put myself in a predicament next to these snakes in public office to give them an opportunity to persuade me with something to make me be like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to hop on board because if you ask me, regardless of Republican or Democrat, a snake's a snake, man. And we got plenty of snakes on both sides right now at the current moment. And that's a damn shame. You know, so I will not be running for any sort of political office because of the people that are currently in the system. I mean, you have career politicians that have been doing this for 40, 50 years and haven't done a damn thing, never had a real job. And so, you know, it's going to happen the moment I put my name and hadn't run. Regardless of me being a you know Republican and a strong conservative, they're going to see me as a threat because I'm not willing to get online with you know, told the told the Republican Party line because there's some things that happen with the Republicans that I just don't agree with in conservatives, and that's absolutely okay. See, I'm my own man, but when you start running for office and get involved in politics, you can say you're your own person, you know. But if you don't play the game, you get booted. And be since I don't 
even want to put my name in the hat to play the game because I don't want to have my morals and values compromised by snakes such as the people currently running our country. And so I refuse to play along. And I feel like, you know, what the best thing I can do right now with where I'm at and where our country's at is with my book and my podcast and by how I treat people I come in constant contact with every day. Because let's be honest, these politicians ain't giving a damn and they're not doing anything for us. All they're doing is continue to divide us, to, to divide us continue to widen the gap between everyday Americans and those in the American ruling class, our politicians, and all these big companies, big pharma, you know, and these tech giants. You know. So it's pretty much us against them, and they're the ones yielding all the power right now. And I don't ever want to put myself in a position to where I pit myself against the American people. Like I say, I could go there with good intentions, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And so I'd rather just not get on the road. And I honestly feel like I do the most and make the most impact in my community and with those around me when I throw on my police officer uniform and I hop in my squad car and I hit the streets. I feel like I have more impact and more promise in that job and in that in my duties as a police officer than I do with any other politician because I don't serve, you know, myself when I'm in uniform. I am there to serve the people and nothing else. I don't care what I got going on that day or how I'm feeling. I have to put all that aside to go out here and help people in their most, you know, in their worst moments. Somebody needs me when I put that uniform on and somebody needs me to be at my best game. Somebody needs me to set aside my politics and my personal beliefs to reach out to them and help them. And be, by becoming a politician, I feel like I would be betraying that. And like I said, it's not that I'm, I don't feel like I'm not a good person, but the reality of our political system right now is it is not for the people. It is politicians for themselves and whoever they're working for and whoever's paying for their campaigns, man. And that's just not what I want to do. I'd rather be a lowly cop on a beat, making an impact in somebody's life one run at a time. And if he, even if that's me making the same run over and over and over again, I'd rather it be that. Because I know that next run with them could be the run that I make that changes them forever. None of some BS policy and some BS, you know, money and that the politicians, they do. I just, I don't want nothing to do with that, man. Nothing to do with that. There's a reason why I love this profession. There's a reason why I love and believe in service. There's a reason why I served in the military. There's a reason why after all I have been through and my fellow officers, the past few years with the protests, there's a reason why I still get up and don the uniform every day, even though I don't have to. I'm technically retired. I don't have to work, but I do it because I love it, because I love the profession. I love the officers, but most of all, I love the people. And that is why I do it. And because I love this profession so much and I love the people, I am hard on officers that put on the uniform and betray the oath of office and that do things to go out of the way and hurt people and do the wrong things. But I've been doing this a little while now, and I also know that sometimes, you know, officers are humans and officers make mistakes. And there's a lot in this job that happens that's black and white. 
There's a lot that happens in this job that is subjective and objective. And if you read my book, there's a lot of gray in this work, in the line of police work, man. And one, one thing I never try to do is Monday morning quarterback and officer that was in a tense situation. Because I know that could be me and I would want somebody to try to understand me. And I would want somebody to be like, hey, he's a good dude. He did that because he felt he had to. I know he didn't mean to hurt that person. That is what I want and that is what we all want. But at the same time, I'm still a human. And when I see an officer do something, you know, my automatic thought's not always, well, he's a cop. I got to support him. My thought is there's got to be more to the story. Like I say, I'm biased. But at the same time, I've been doing this long enough to where I can step outside of my bias and try to look at things from the outside looking in and make a judgment from that off of very little information. So why am I talking about this? There was an incident that happened in Tucson and I believe it was late November or mid December. There was an incident in which an officer shot a guy in a wheelchair with a knife. The guy had a knife and the officer shot the guy in the wheelchair nine times. And there's been so much controversy behind this thing. And I remember when I first saw the video, my first thought was, what the f Are you serious? Did this guy really just do this? Like, why would you do this after all we have been through in this profession? Why would you do such a thing like that at this time, man? You know, and my emotions, just like everybody else, believe it or not, police, we are emotional. My emotions, I was drawn into this video my emotions just sucked me in man and i was mad as hell at this officer and my first thought was this is unacceptable this is unexcusable and to this day even months after i still feel like what the officer did was uncalled for and wrong but i remember that the rule of law does not care about my feelings and my opinions and the law is the law this is the area what I call lawful but awful. And this is also what I call in police work, what I tell a lot of my younger uh, officers. Just because you can does not mean that you should. And before I jump into this sort of a breakdown of this incident, just let me go ahead and verify and say, I do not agree with what this officer did. I feel like there was a better way and there was a million other things that this officer could have done. I don't like it one bit. So I just want to go ahead and preface that. I'm not saying I support this officer. I am not saying that I stand in agreement with what he did. But like I said, I try to pull myself back and look at the justification and remove my feelings and look at the law. And so that is what I'm trying to do do with this. And like I said, some people might agree, some people might not agree. But there's one thing I see with this incident is a lot of pe a lot of officers have agreed and disagreed on it. And this is going to be my purview of the situation with a little bit more info. And also, let me remind you, I don't know all the facts. There are still some things that are hidden. I don't know everything. This is just my opinion from what I have gathered thus far. So on November 29th of 2021, 
a Tucson police officer by the name of Ryan Remington. What a heck of a last name, especially for this situation. Just let me go ahead and throw that out there. Let me point that out. With the last name Remington, this almost feels like it was this officer's destiny. But let me get serious. Ryan Remington, a four-year veteran of the Tucson Police Department, was working off-duty security at the store. That's something a lot of officers do, especially during the holidays, man. You want to make 80, 90 bucks an hour, go sit at Lowe's, stand at Lowe's or Walmart, man. It'll just go in there for a couple hours and you're walking away with a guap of money. I did it myself this past holiday season, man. So the employee told Remington that 61-year-old Richard Lee Richards, who was in a scooter, allegedly stole a two-box from the store. And according to the employee and Officer Remington followed Mr. Richards and asked him for a receipt as he was going out the door. Richards responded, here's your receipt, and pulled out a knife and kept moving. All right, so I want to stop there for one second. Some of you are law enforcement, some of you all are not. What is that charge called? If you steal something from a store and you pull a weapon and you threaten somebody, with physical bodily harm, or you actually physically harm somebody. That's called a robbery. And according to Arizona Revised Statute, I have it right here. ARS defines robbery as a person commits a robbery if, in the course of committing a robbery, as defined in Section 13, 1902, such person or an accomplice is armed with a deadly weapon or simulated deadly weapon or uses or threatens to use a deadly weapon or dangerous instrument or a simulated deadly weapon armed robbery is a class two felony so when mr richards took the toolbox and was exiting the store it was just a plain theft at that point and but once he pulled the knife and said here's my receipt he escalated this incident from a simple possible misdemeanor depending on the price of the toolbox he escalated this to a felony event and a felony charge alright so keep that in mind the man is now armed with a deadly weapon and he has committed a felony and so from my research what I gathered Mr. Richards continues to uh, power on in his power chair into the parking lot and from what I'm hearing that the officer pursued him in the parking lot for quite some time from what I'm possibly hearing, maybe eight to 15 minutes or something like that. The officer followed this guy and tried to deescalate the situation for quite some time. And Mr. Richards in the wheelchair kept telling him, if you want me to put the knife down, you're going to have to kill me. And that tells us his mindset. So the officer has tried to deescalate the situation for quite some time and tried to convince this guy to drop the knife. And so Mr. Richards continues to defy the officer's lawful orders and starts to head to Lowe's. And this is another thing that people have to take into account. This is what we call in police work the totality of the circumstances. What day was this? This is November 29th. This is a couple days after Thanksgiving and before Christmas. And what is everybody doing after Thanksgiving and before Christmas, everybody is out shopping and stores are typically loaded with people from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, trying to get the best deals. So there are tons of people everywhere and that's just standard knowledge. 
and that is what we call totality of the circumstances when we look into the situation. So Mr. Richards starts to power wheel himself to the store. And as he is going to the store, there is an employee on the other side of the of the walkway where he's getting ready to power into. And then the officer tells him, sir, don't go into the store, sir. Do not go into the store. And as he's going through that, his partner, Stephanie Taylor, arrived. And just as uh, Richards reached the garden center of the uh, nearby Lowe's Home Improvement Store, Mr. Remington then told Richards to not enter the store, but Richards ignored him. And it was at this point that Mr. Remington, Officer Remington shot Mr. Richards nine times, causing him to fall out of his scooter. Richards died at the scene. And so I've had this talk with many people in on my police department and you know, my my squad and online, which is the absolute worst place to discuss anything, yo. But so here's what we have, man. We have to weigh what this officer did against the law. Take your personal feelings out of it. Take how you feel out of it. Trust me, I had to because the video pissed me off. But I want to be objective about this as possible. Like I said, I still don't like what he did. But here's the other thing we have to consider. We have to look at the justification and use of deadly physical force in law enforcement according to Arizona Revised Statute. And that's 13410, Section C. And that states the use of deadly physical force by a peace officer against another is justified pursuant to this section only when the peace officer reasonably believes that it is necessary to defend himself or a third person from what the peace officer reasonably believes to be the use of imminent use of deadly physical force to effect an arrest or prevent the escape from custody of a person whom the police officer reasonably believes has committed, attempted to commit, is committing or is attempting to commit a felony involving the use of or a threatened use of deadly weapon is attempting to escape by use of deadly of a deadly weapon. Though past or present conduct of the person which is known by the peace officer that the person is likely to endanger human life or inflict serious bodily injury to another unless apprehended without delay. And the last part of this, D says, notwithstanding any other provisions of this chapter, a peace officer is justified in threatening to use deadly force when and to the extent of a reasonable officer believes it is necessary to protect himself against another's potential use of physical force or deadly physical force. All righty. So I want to go back to this one section. It's going to be section C and it's going to be number two or number two a, where it says has committed, attempted to commit is committing or is attempting to commit a felony involving the use of a threatened use of deadly force. Rewind this back and go back to what I read about armed robbery and what Mr. Richards did. So the moment Mr. Richards pulled out that knife and escalated the situation, he turned this into a felony situation. And according to Arizona revised statute, if you take the totality of the circumstances, this guy in a wheelchair, take away the wheelchair. Well, no, no, no I'm not going to say take away the wheelchair. So some people that is pertinent and I completely understand and I agree to a degree. Hey, but hey, this guy in a wheelchair has already proven that he's willing to use physical force. He pulled out a knife on the officer. 
said this is my receipt ignored the officer's commands for eight to 15 minutes as the officers phone through the parking lot this guy armed with a knife going through a parking lot into a crowded store where there's an employee on the other side of the door and where he could go into the store and possibly start stabbing people it's a possibility i'm not saying that that was necessarily going to happen with the guy in a wheelchair but stranger things have happened and so the officer fires nine shots and neutralizes the threat so like i said my personal opinion is what the officer did in this situation by law was justified and i'm going straight off of the letter of the law that's it nothing else just by the letter of the law and to hear his police chief say that he violated law well i my first thought was well you're a police chief have you not read your state law the man committed a felony with a dangerous weapon threatened the officer and was going into a department store crowded with people you know and, and so my thing is the officer was justified according to law simple that's 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 that simple but now my personal feeling and belief is that what the officer did was absolutely jacked up and i do not agree with it and i do not support it like i say i have to take my feelings out of it legally yes personally ain't no way in hell i would have ever shot that guy there were so many other things that that officer could have done in that situation. And I hate to Monday morning quarterback an officer in a tense situation because I've been there and it sucks. You know, then to have people go back and watch a video and tell you what you should and should not have done in this time. That's it's the worst feeling in the world. You know, but with this being such a serious incident, man, I mean, you're going into a Lowe's and this guy is in a power chair there are certain times I believe in taking risk and, and that was one of the times I feel like as an officer you could take a risk of running up to this guy and kicking the chair over I saw the video from the uh the Lowe's security camera you know, there were bricks right on the inside of the door right where the person was standing like why can't you go into the store Throw something in this guy's way and block his, you know, his path and stop him dead in his tracks. There, I mean, trash can, something, pepper spray, something, a less than lethal shotgun, something besides automatically going to deadly force. And that's why I've named this episode just because you can does not mean that you should. Justified by law, according to ARS. You could disagree with me all you want, but go and read the law. You know, and some people are like, well, he's in a wheelchair. I don't think a reasonable officer would think that. You know what? The term reasonable officer now is very subjective right now, dude. And personally, I, I would I just. I've seen enough in 13 years where just because somebody's in a wheelchair does not mean that they're an innocent person and that they should not be shot. But like I said, you have to take the totality of the circumstances into all that. You can't judge every situation and incident by the same, you know, by the same as another one that has happened, man. And what happened with this was it was an absolute tragedy. And the fact that he shot him nine times, I mean, my God, man, my God. I mean, honestly, I personally think maybe one shot could have worked. But at the same time, I'm like, hey, man, he's justified in shooting this guy until the threat is stopped according to state law. Now, but. Just because you can does not mean that you should. 
there's and this is the problem we have with law enforcement right now is the fact we have so many of our best officers, our veteran officers, officers that are able to get into these incidents and use common sense and be able to, hey, man, stop. Let's not do that right now. I know we can, but let's figure out another way to solve this before we go shooting this guy and taking his life, even though we can. But in this current environment, do you want to have your life hanging in the balance in your career? For shooting some scumbag that is a repeat offender and is a problem child, do you want to have your life hanging in the balance and everything that you have built and worked for at the mercy of social media and the public right now, especially with the way things have been? Hell no. With that one, I would have took the risk personally of getting stabbed by this guy, cut by this guy in his wheelchair to stop the threat. Because I have enough experience at the 13 years to know that, hey, man, maybe this ain't the smartest avenue of approach right now. Yo, there's a hundred things you could have done you know, besides putting nine rounds in this guy. You know, just, I just, you know, I, I don't agree with it. Like I said the law agrees with it, but I personally just don't because there's so many other ways we could have saved this guy's life. But at the same time, I tell people. They're making this guy out to be an innocent victim. And this guy is not an innocent victim. He's a frequent fire with this police department. He's been in trouble. And I mean, he's got all types of problems and issues. And everybody's like, but he's in a wheelchair. He shouldn't have to shot him. I agree, but the law says it. So it's, it's good to go. If you don't believe me, look it up yourself. Look up Arizona revised statute on robbery and look up Arizona revised statute of, you know, use of deadly force. It matches and goes hand in hand. But like I said, just based on my experience, it was the worst decision he could have made, even though he was justified in making that decision. And like I said, people are going to disagree with that and people are going to agree. Man, I've seen officers split down the middle on this thing for the longest and I've wanted to make a video about it for the longest, but I've been kind of crazy busy with life, man. And I've wanted to get my two cents out there on it, you know, and, the police department has fired this guy already, but the, um, I believe it's the FOP lawyer that's representing the officer has stated and told them, you know, like, Hey, y'all don't know the whole story, man. And this guy's already been fired because it was a political reason move to fire. This guy, this guy should not be fired. This guy should be investigated. This entire situation should be investigated, but the chief moved to fire this officer to save the city and save his own ass. Not about this officer's rights. None of that mattered. And this officer definitely still has rights. And this officer should still be an officer. You might not like that, but there's a reason we have certain, you know, laws and rules in play. And there's a reason that officers are due, you know, their due process as well. And this is the problem why we no longer have good officers on the streets because of crap like this. When you go to move instantly to fire an officer without conducting a proper investigation, you know, if you go through the investigation and you determine that, hey, this is jacked up, we can't have this, that's fine. But to fire this guy before the investigation even happens, that is unacceptable. This guy was just literally thrown under the bus and thrown to the wolves by his police administration to save their own ass and to save the city. And that is the problem we are having with a lot of these major police departments right now. Oh, don't worry, man. Go out there and get active. Go make stops. We got your back, guys. We're here for you. We work for you. We're your leadership. We're in this together until some shit like this happens. 
then all of a sudden they disappear and nobody has your back anymore. So they t a lot of police leaders talk a big game until the heat is on and then their pensions are at risk and their reputations are at risk and their next big boy political job is at risk. So they got your back until that happens. And that is why I say as officers, we have to, you know, we have to hire the best officers for the job and we have to have veteran officers around, man. We have to. A veteran officer probably could have stopped this thing. But who knows? I don't know how many officers are on, are on the Tucson PD right now. Last I heard was they were hurting for numbers just like any other major city. Yeah, but there's nobody there to you know correct this guy and be like, hey, man. And like I said, he was working off duty. So, you know, who knows? I don't know. But man, there, was a, there was a better way, Officer Remington. There was absolutely a better way. And I'm not going to sit here and say that you're a bad officer and that you're a psychopath. Some people have said that. I'm not going to sit here and say that because I don't know you personally. I don't like what you did, but what you did was absolutely legal according to Arizona state law. You know, so that's that's one of those situations where, man, this guy's life, this officer's life, man, it's his life's going to be over. His life is going to be changed. You know, and I also already I read an article where it said that he says he's saying that he knows he's going to get his job back, even though he's been fired. He's going to sue to get his job back. And he probably absolutely will get his job back. You know? And like I said, and just to hear the chief say that this is not how we're trained. Like this is absolutely how you're trained. You're trained in kind of a black and white, you know, incidents with police work. Like this is when you can use deadly force. This is when you cannot use deadly force. You know, but you're not taught to use common sense in the police academy. You know, it's kind of a black and white bit. But that's why we had to have older officers on a platoon full of young officers to guide and direct these guys to stop making decisions like this like i said just because you can does not mean that you should and i've said this example before the tamir rice shooting in ohio those officers were absolutely justified in their use of force but part of my language their tactics were absolutely effed up and led to the death of that young kid and that should have never happened of course and that's why they got off because what they did by the law they, it was absolutely legal but their tactics were so atrocious. They didn't even give this young man a chance to live. They didn't give this young man a chance to drop the gun. And that disgusts me. But I tell people, my personal feelings don't matter when it comes to the law and the Constitution. And a lot of people don't like that. But unfortunately, the Constitution supersedes your feelings and so does the rule of law. So no matter who you are and what you do, your feelings will never override the law and the constitution. Although we seem to be ha in the last few years going to a place where people's feelings have been helping to shape, mold, and bend and bend the law in some of these major cases we've had. And jurors are terrified to return a verdict that's not in the favor of public opinion. And that should never be the case. The rule of law is the rule of law should be black and white. But like I said, in this profession, there's a lot of gray. And it's, this, uh, this incident was extremely unfortunate and many other incidents like this have been unfortunate. It'd be different if, you know, it'd be different for me if as soon as the guy was going through the door and pulled out a knife and instantly said, hey, you know, here's my receipt and the officer just blasted him right away. You know, it might be, a, you know, I might have felt different. I don't know. But the fact that this officer 
followed this guy, tried to de-escalate for a long time, and the guy just would not comply. And he told the guy not to go into the store. You know, like, I just, you know, I just, I don't feel bad for this guy at all. I really don't. You know, I actually, I honestly feel bad for the officer because he made a horrible, horrible call. And a call that is going to haunt him the rest of his life. And, man, but like I say, we can't, we cannot afford to have these incidents. We just can't. We have to use common sense and we have to use our discretion as police officers a lot more wise. Because this is not only going to affect this officer, that's going to affect this city, and it's going to affect the men and women that he works with every freaking day. And like I said, this ain't about you. Remember this, man. And to all my fellow officers, when you're out there doing something, man, it's not just your ass on the line. You know, like you have other people that will suffer with you. So make sure you do your best to do the right thing, but also make sure to try to use common sense. And if you have time, hey, dude, don't rush. Don't rush. Take your time. Not everything has to be rushed. Sometimes, you know, things are have to be handled in that exact moment. But a guy in a power chair, man, you know, like there's no you could have took your time with that one. You don't know what this guy is. He really paralyzed. Who knows if he is not paralyzed and he gets up out of the chair and starts running and rushing. Handle business, man. But you have to be careful in how you employ your tactics and how you employ your judgment. Because now this guy's life is over. And you will have to ask him if, when it's all said and done if what he did was worth it. And I guarantee you that the stress that this guy is going to be under, he's probably going to come back and tell you, no, it was not worth it. But that's why I said just because we can does not mean that we should. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the I Am Pitch podcast. And this has been your host, Dex. I'd like to thank you all for tuning in. If you could, please go and rate the show on Apple iTunes. You can also leave a rating now on Spotify. You can also tune into the show on many other podcasts. Pla- po- excuse me. Corona got me stuttering. You can also listen. <laughs> <coughs> 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 Sorry, I had to get that one out. <laughs> you can also listen to the show on many other podcast platforms. And also, like I said, my book, I Am Pits, is officially out. If you want a copy, go to IamPits.com. And there you can order your copy of the book. All right. And if you could, man, so many people, you all are, are, are so many of you all are reaching out to me, telling me how great the book is. And thank you all from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. And all I ask is that once you finish reading the book, if you could, please go to Amazon and rate the book and leave me a review, because that is the only way my book continues to grow and get out there. And please tell your friends about the book. Tell them how great it is. Tell them how much you enjoy it and spread the word and spread the message, man. So, like I said, thank you all for tuning in once again. Say, don't worry about me and the Omicron. I'm good, dog. I'm all the way good. I promise. I should be back to work next week. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Iron Pits podcast. Thank you all for tuning in and I will see you on the next one.